what I'd like to do is do a little review with you about last Sunday, just to touch on some things that were mentioned, and uh, for those who weren't here last Sunday, or maybe actually uh, you didn't get online or couldn't get online, or just, you know, of course, uh, having issues sometimes with online stuff. We looked at, uh, we started the discipleship series, and we looked at what a disciple looks like. And uh, as uh, we looked at that in Matthew chapter 4, about Jesus calling his first disciples, and, and then focused on Matthew 10, verse 16, where it says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And we looked at those three different animals, what that really looks like for a disciple. And uh, as a sheep, we follow Jesus, and Jesus told his, his disciples that he was sending them out like sheep among wolves. And when sheep smell a, a wolf nearby, they do two things. They bunch up close to each other, and they stick close by the shepherd. And that's what we should be doing as well, too. Coming together, we can't do this alone. We need each other, but also, too, we come together and we stay close to the shepherd our great shepherd, Jesus. And uh, as followers of Jesus, we need to do that. We need, to, we need one another, and we need to stick close to Jesus. Then we looked at the, the animal of a snake, and uh, not many of you probably enjoyed that part of it too much. I know if it was a spider, I would not like that either. But anyway, a snake, and, and the Scripture tells us uh, we need to be as shrewd as snakes or as wise as snakes, as some translations talk about. And when you do that, you're learning from Jesus. A snake who knows when to strike and when to keep a low profile. And a young, naive Christian needs to know when to share and speak about Jesus. I guess we've, uh, I've heard uh, situational awareness is a key thing. It's a good term to keep in mind when you want to share your faith and uh, how to do that and when to do that. Well, Jesus was not naive, and he gave the disciples a strong warning about the unbelieving world, also, too, in Matthew chapter 10, and we need to heed that as well, too. But every Christian needs to be shrewd or, or wise if they hope to influence the culture for Christ. So you need to, in doing that, you need to learn from Jesus. And to learn from Jesus, you need to be reading God's Word. You need to be in Bible studies. You need to know what he's, he's showing you and leading you in. And we looked at the third animal, and that third animal is the dove, and, and we, we are told to be as innocent as doves. And in order to do that, we need to live like Jesus. And a dove, again, is a symbol of the Spirit of God. And to be innocent as a dove tells us that we don't have to participate with evil in order to recognize it and encounter it. We don't have to be involved with those things. We know it by what the truth is. We can identify those things. Adherence to truth displaces evil. I mentioned that uh, last Sunday as well. But good habits also to displace bad ones. And when you have those good habits in place, then those are, are leading you rather than the, the bad ones. And we need the good habit of studying God's word to avoid evil lifestyles and uh, the conformity of our lives to the patterns of this world, as Scripture tells us. It's more about transformation and less about information. And... Uh, uh, we need to be transformed in our minds and renewing of our minds and following Jesus in, in that way. And again, the only way we can be innocent as doves is to become like him. A true student will be changed into the likeness of the teacher. And in the same way, a true disciple will be changed into the likeness of, of Jesus. 
And so as a disciple, that's what our goal is, to be more like him. Do what he does, say what he says, and respond in, in situations like he would respond. So we all need, and kind of concluded, we all need to be a bunch of sheep, snakes, and doves. And I called those a, a sheikov, uh, kind of combining those animals together. I don't know what that would look like. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, Tyson maybe might be able to draw one of those pictures for me what this Shiekov would look like. I'd love to see one of those things. Uh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> It'd be a little scary. But we need to follow Jesus, though, as a sheep and learn from him as uh, snakes, being wise, and then live like Jesus as doves. And that was the look of a disciple, a Shiekov, and uh, a disciple of Jesus. And we need to uh, make sure that we are following after Jesus as we journey this Christian walk. Now we, we move from that, though, and, and, and we're going to discover today the costs for being a disciple. Uh, familiar portions of Scripture for, for some of you as well. But what would you say to, uh, if I were to tell you I have this greatest investment deal for you, the, the most incredible investment deal for you of all times, and if you don't latch on to this, you'll be, you'll be really, really, really sorry. It's, it's just incredible. And the catch, though, is, is that it's going, to, it's going to cost you everything you have and, and everything you are. <laughs> Would you still be interested? Depends on what that investment deal is, right? Well, in Luke chapter 14, we find out what that investment deal is for those who are followers of Jesus. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. And if you turn there, we're going we're gonna to camp out there for today a little bit in that chapter. In verse 25, it says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So in this text, this portion of Scripture so far, a large crowd was following Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. And uh, the crowd thought Jesus was going to Jerusalem to be crowned as king. Of course, they were all anticipating this. But Jesus knew he was going to to Jerusalem to be crucified. He had to do the will of his father. And that's why Jesus wasn't impressed with the big numbers around him. All these people coming around and following and, 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 and greeting him. These wannabe disciples did not know what they had signed up for. They're all on board the bandwagon, if you will, because this must have been a pretty neat thing for some people and thought this would be fun. Uh, they, were, they were kind of like a bunch of campers who thought they had signed up to stay at the Hilton. <laughs> and instead, uh, their room is a tent, their bed is a sleeping bag on the hard ground, and their bathroom, well, it's a hole <laughs> they dig far away from the camp. Uh, did you know that you, you could leave comments on cards at the trailheads of uh, these different wilderness areas? And if uh, these bunch of campers could have written some of these, uh, these actual responses I'm going to read to you, uh, they, they probably would have. They probably would have been part of this bunch of uh, comments here. But there, he, listen to some of these comments uh, at a, a trailhead of wilderness hiking area of all these cards. One of them says, In the future... Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Okay. (laughs) 
John, you left that card, didn't you? Why not, here's another one, why not pave the trails? Chairlifts would also be helpful so we can enjoy the view without having to hike so far. Wouldn't that be nice? Another comment was, a small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there a way I can get reimbursed? <laughs> Ask the deer, maybe, I don't know. Another comment, escalators would help on steep uphill sections. Thank you. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I, I question the choice of this, but a McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> you could probably place your own. <laughs> oh, and here's one, another comment. I wonder if uh, Annie Durkoop or the Rocco's or maybe even Colleen Zinn left this one. Could you spray the wilderness to get rid of bugs, leeches, and spiders? <laughs> any kind of bugs and stuff like that. And uh, another comment was, it's a very nice wilderness. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a very nice wilderness, but there are too many rocks in the mountains. <laughs> okay. Some comments. Are just crazy. This was the mentality of the crowd following Jesus. They thought they were on a Sunday school picnic where they, uh, they would get some free fish and chips maybe every day. When Jesus warned them to count the cost of discipleship, he was not just talking to them, he was talking to every person who claims to be a Christian. He is talking to all of us. Disciple is just another word for a Christian. The term disciple occurs about 269 times in the New Testament, while the term Christian only occurs three times. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we are told that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And the two terms are interchangeable in the same way that, you, that, that your, your spouse is also your wife or husband, or your sibling is also your sister or brother, uh, interchangeable in that way. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple. And in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus said, Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. You can also read it this way. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be a Christian. So what does it cost to be a Christian? Well, <laughs> it costs everything. It costs everything if you look at Scripture. And he really means everything. <clears throat> Look at the, this shocking statement in verse 26 of that same chapter, Luke 14. It says, No one, no one can be, be my disciple unless he hates his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Now, for our family, we taught our kids, you cannot hate someone. <clears throat> Don't hate people. You can dislike them. The only thing you can, only one you can hate, only person you can hate is the devil. You can hate the devil. And so as I read this scripture, and I was, talking to, uh, uh, I was talking to Maddie last night about and all that, and I said, you remember we told you those things about, you know, don't hate anyone? And I said, here we go. And she's like, yeah. I said, yeah, it gets a little confusing sometimes when scripture tells you you, can, you need to do this. You need to hate, you know, brother and sister and mother and father. Um, I'm sure that got their attention, it got our attention, and it got our kids' attention, and it, it got all the apostles, the disciples' attention as well, too, about this. What did Jesus mean when he said a disciple must hate his family? You read scripture there, and you're going, whoa, okay, something's weird here. Well, it is. Uh, the Greek word here, uh, translated hate, had a different emphasis 
than we would give it today. Uh, it, it meant to put something below other things. In other words, the disciple must place everything below Jesus, even family members. Now, putting family below Jesus doesn't mean that we neglect our family, okay? Uh, but it does affect family life in very real ways. Uh, some of you being here today, it affects your family in some way. Um, gatherings can't happen until after church on Sunday, right? Uh, I'll be home on church, depends on when the pastor's done preaching, whether I get home early or not. Uh, but I, I need to go to church, and we're going there right now. So any kind of family gatherings would happen after church, usually. And that's what you do. Uh, you could easily say, you know, Sunday mornings are for family. We're, we're going to be together, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, there's, there's that then priority level going on that, that needs to be figured out, evaluated. Especially when Jesus is saying here, no one can be my disciple unless you place under me your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. So it's an order, priority of placing all these things under Jesus and having Jesus as the priority. So whatever goes on in your life, Jesus better be that priority going on. Now, we, 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 uh, we need to take inventory at times. And try to see, is that still going on? Because there are some things that take importance in moments. But what is the track record? What is the general thing going on? And be careful that you don't get all out of whack, that you keep on doing these other things more priority than Jesus. That's why we need to stop at times and take some spiritual inventory and go, okay, what are we doing? Are we still in line here? And if not, we get back in line and and figure out uh, what needs to be done. So, if you, if you have a situation where you're telling your family, sorry, we can't meet for a gathering, we can't go do these things, whatever, you know, bring them to church with you. <laughs> bring them along. Hey, come to church with me. Usually happens at Christmas and Easter, right? And either grandma or mom says, please come, and the kids go, okay, and you know, they, they come to Christmas or Easter. Bring them to church with you. Um, but again, God as first place. That, that's, the, that's a priority. For many years, I've seen families spend their spring break serving Jesus by serving others on youth mission trips. And, and you've seen it happen here with our church. Uh, youth, youth group would go on out to a lot of different areas and, and serve for that uh, week of spring break. There were times when the whole family would join in on these trips when I was a youth pastor at Labish Center. We went down, and, and one family took all their kids. There three kids, not a whole bunch of them, but, but they were, a couple of them were pretty young. And kind of questioned that, but we said, well, you two parents are coming, so you two are responsible for them. <laughs> and it was fine. It worked out wonderfully because when we got down to San Luis in, in Mexico down there, um, those two little kids were able to, to connect with the other kids in the area, in that place, in that community, and uh, uh, they didn't know Spanish, and, and uh, the others didn't know English very much, but they're still able to communicate. And they brought in the adults with that, too. And it was a great connection. But they took their whole family. They, they set aside that week and, and did that. I mean, a lot of people do other different things for, for spring break, and families do And that's fine. They do other stuff as well, too. But sometimes uh, so there's families where they, they spend their spring break serving Jesus in some way. 
I remember uh, that when our kids were young and still at home, we planned our summer schedule around church events. Now, when is Multnomah Holiness Camp? Okay, well, we got to do the make sure we, we're there and, and uh, don't schedule something around that. Uh, vacation Bible school at church? Okay, we got to make sure it's this week here. So, in, oh, and then church camp out, of course, got to make sure we're there. Before the, so, we, we put our, our events around whatever is going on with uh, what's happening with church and events like that. These things went on our calendar first, and, and then other things had to fit around them. And it's a priority issue. If you want to know who is first in your life, just take a look at your checkbook, either your actual checkbook <laughs> that you have or online if you do online banking. And take a look at your day planner, whether you have, again, an a actual one that you write in or your calendar app. Uh, take a look at those, and uh, you'll, you'll see your, your priorities. Who's first? What, what, what's going on in your life in that way? Is your tithe the first thing that comes out of your, your paycheck? Uh, do you plan your schedule around your, your service to God, or do you put other things first and then fit in God in places? Have you counted the cost? Are you willing to give up anything and everything to follow Christ? It doesn't just mean we turn away from sin. That's a given. <laughs> You're supposed to do that. That's just part of it. Some of the things we give up may even be good things. We give up the good for the best. We've talked to our kids about this, good, better, and best. What are you doing? Are you doing God's best, or are you just settling for good? And, and, and the idea there, too, of course, is the prioritizing of our, our, our schedules and and. Our, our intentions as well, too. But again, for a disciple, nothing can ever be more important than Jesus. And that needs to be first place. In Luke chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, when Jesus said that, can you picture the crowd just kind of staring at him with their mouths hanging wide open in shock? What do you mean carrying your cross? They would be saying things like, oh, we see that happening at times here. And those people who carry their cross are not ending up in a good spot. And they go through town carrying this, and, and everyone sees that. And again, the end result is not good. What are you talking about, Jesus? See, the word cross doesn't really affect us like that too much. We don't. We, we, we read that verse and we go, oh, okay, well, it, there's going to be some work there. There's going to be some sacrifice. But uh, uh, in, in, uh, in Jesus' day, the cross, again, was nothing but an ugly, gruesome instrument of execution. So when Jesus was saying, carry your cross, they're kind of like, oh, oh huh, that's a little bit too much. Imagine Jesus saying, you can't be a Christian unless you go to death row. <laughs> Or you can't be a Christian, uh, you can't be one of my disciples uh, unless you strap yourself into the electric chair. <laughs> or a Christian is a dead man walking. <laughs> All these things, we would be going, hmm, well, <laughs> I don't know if I signed up for that. All these are hard to accept. So Jesus took time to tell two stories to help us understand this. And again, in Luke chapter 14, first he told a story about a tower in verses 28 through 30. 
Suppose one of you, he says here, wants to build a tower. Well, he, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Now, that parable always reminds me of, a, of an unfinished house I saw while living in Newburgh, going to George Fox and traveling out to uh, uh, Tillicum day camp every now and then and stuff like that. And out in the country there was this structure, this house that was bu being built. And it stayed like that for a very long time in the process of being built. The wood was becoming more weathered each time I drove by. Nothing much more was being done with it. Yeah, I don't know if it ever got completed or not. I'm sure there was some kind of backstory to it in some way. But it was a tremendous illustration of the principle of, of Luke chapter 14, verse 28. How that structure just stood there as a testimony of, of, of whatever went on. But if you take it scripturally, uh, it, it gives us an example that if we don't consider the cost and we don't realize what it's going to take, it's going to be that structure sitting there unfinished for everyone else to see. The story also reminds me of a commercial you may have uh, remembered seeing a while back. It was on TV. A uh, man is sitting in a tattoo parlor expressing his love for a girl named Donna by getting her name tattooed on his arm. And then halfway through, he asks how much it will cost. And the guy who's doing the tattoo going through it, he says, 50 bucks. And he pulls out his cash out of his pocket and goes, oh, <laughs> I only have 41 <laughs> And the next scene shows the couple on the sidewalk with Donna storming off and the guy yelling after her, I'll get it finished. And the camera zooms into the tattoo, which says, I love Dawn. <laughs> hilarious, hilarious. Whether it's a tower or a tattoo, starting and not finishing is worse than not starting at all. The man in the parable sunk all his money into that tower and in order to increase the value of his real estate. But a half-finished tower is worthless. In fact, the unfinished tower is worse than worthless. It's a tragic waste of time and talent. And when you think about it, is there anything more tragic than an unfinished life? A baby begins developing, then is aborted. A marriage begins with promises, but then ends in divorce. A sinner comes to the cross, but then gets distracted and walks away from salvation. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you must start, you must continue, and you must finish life as a believer. Being a disciple requires total commitment. And it will take everything you have. And it will take everything you are as we see here in this next story in verses 31 and 32. Jesus continues on. He says, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Now, this king has a big problem. <laughs> His army is outnumbered, two to one. 
And if he doesn't count the cost, his army will be annihilated. There will be defeat for sure. It's when someone thinks they are unbeatable that they are in the most danger. General Santa Ana had over 4,000 troops when he faced William Travis's ragtag crew of less than 200 Texans at the Alamo. Santa Ana assumed this would be a no-brainer for him, but he didn't count on the loss of 1,200 of his soldiers in fighting that 13-day battle. If he had counted the cost, he should have known that the Alamo would, would set him up for defeat. But Santa Ana thought uh, he, he could not be defeated. He didn't think he needed to count the cost. Too many people are like Santa Ana. They think they are, are strong. They believe the lie that if you believe in yourself, you can do anything. Pride and arrogance can stop people from seeing reality. <laughs> the reality is that God requires total surrender. Total surrender. Those who are proud and arrogant don't stand a chance against a God who wages war against unrighteousness. That's why Jesus went to the cross. His death cleared the way for us to make terms of peace with God. While there's still time, we need to count the cost. If you look again in chapter 14, verse 33, it says, Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Everything. Everything might, might mean your job. Everything might mean your entertainments, what you enjoy, what you're entertained by. Everything might be your, your toys. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your possessions. Maybe it's your goals, your dreams, your friends, your family, maybe even your physical life. It takes total surrender. A story is told from the underground church in the days of communist Russia. When one particular group of Christians gathered for worship, they arrived at different times in order to avoid suspicion. By dark, they were all inside with windows closed and the doors locked. They had just started singing a hymn when the doors burst open. Two soldiers with automatic weapons stormed in. They demanded that the believers line up against the wall. One shouted, if you wish to renounce your faith in Jesus, leave now. Two left quickly. After a few more seconds, three more left. Finally, one more slipped out into the night. After a few more minutes of silence, the soldiers closed and locked the doors. They said, keep your hands up, but in praise to God. We are Christians, and we have learned to trust no one who would not die for Jesus Christ. What will it cost you to follow Jesus? It will cost you everything. Everything you have, which means a total commitment. It will cost you everything you are, which is a total surrender. Some of us have lived our lives. 
We're on the other end of that thinking, okay, I, I've done the things. But there are some of us who are going, there's some things I'd like to do. I would like to be this or I'd like to do these things. Are you surrendering that to God? <laughs> Putting it in his hands. Because when you do, God will direct you in those things and you will be guided by his spirit and know that you're in his will in an exact right spot that he wants you in. If you are in total surrender to him. And that is, that is the abundant life, folks. Living in total surrender and living in uh, total commitment. When you do that, then all these other things, like I mentioned last time, all these other things that come against us that we might be concerned about, whatever CNN might be saying, whatever other political people might be telling you, whatever the, uh, the next day might hold, whether it's tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, whatever it might be, whatever your neighbor might be telling you about how you should be getting vaccinated or if you should be wearing a mask or whatever it might be in those things. If you're up to your ears and eyes in the fact that, that people are all around you stressed and tension-filled, the only way you're going to get through these things and bring hope is a total commitment and a total surrender to Jesus. People will see that. They are, they are hungering and thirsting for someone who, 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 who's got it all together or who, who's, who's got an answer. And I got to tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've got the answer. We need to let people know. Total commitment, total surrender is the cost of a disciple of Jesus. That's what it's going to cost you. But like I mentioned at the very beginning, an investment that will be worthwhile, an investment that will change your life. It will cost you everything, but man, it's worth it. <laughs> so are you up for the cost? How's your commitment? How is that? On a scale of 1 to 10, and you can talk to God about this one. 1 being not so good, 10 being... Ah, I'm doing pretty good. Where do you fall on a scale of 1 to 10 of your commitment as a disciple of Jesus? Where do you fall on a scale of 1 to 10 with your surrender to Him? Because you might have plans. Or, you know, you might think, my family's important. And that's fine. They should be. More important than Jesus? Where's your surrender? Where's your commitment? How's that going? I trust that God has been speaking to your hearts about these things in some way, some form. And when he does, I trust also, too, that you respond in obedience. The Holy Spirit's tapping on your shoulder about some stuff, and, and maybe you went off on a rabbit trail in your thoughts, and, and the Holy Spirit's guiding you in that, and you need to respond in some way. I trust that you will respond in prayer and respond in obedience, though. Uh, those who are online, same thing. <laughs> Got a little distracted by other things going on or whatever. Um, I trust, though, that uh, the Holy Spirit is leading you in response to uh, what has been said here today and how God is speaking to your heart. Because if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about something in particular, 
in some way, respond in obedience. That's all you need to do. It seems pretty simple, but it's a big, big step. Respond in, in, in obedience. And if you need to, need to spend some time in prayer at the altar, you sure can. Those who are online, you can create your own altar as well, too. Just go to Lord in prayer, and, and maybe you just need to ask him yourself, how is my commitment? How is my surrender to you? And maybe you already know the answer. And if you do, and you need to, there's some work to be done, maybe there's some prayer time you need to have with God. We're going to sing uh, the last few songs. Annie and Don are going to come on up and lead us in this. As we sing, if you need to be praying or whatever, just uh, take that time for God and have Him evaluate with you your commitment, your surrender. Where are you at with that? And what would it take for if you, you know, on a scale of one to 10, what would it take to move that closer to a 10? What would need to happen in your life? What would, what would need, you need to do? Something to think about as we sing these last two songs.